0: The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. A man and his wife are found dead in a rooming house. A dead parrot lies on the floor beside them. The killer set fire to the room to cover his tracks. Your job, get him.
1: You'll be amazed when you compare Fatima with other long cigarettes.
0: You'll find they now cost the same. But in Fatima, the difference is quality. You see,
1: Fatima is the quality king-size cigarette because it contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended And Fatima is extra mild, with a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. Because of its quality, its extra mildness, its better flavor and aroma, Fatima has more than doubled its smokers coast to coast.
0: So try comparing Fatima yourself. Fatimas now cost the same as other long cigarettes, but your first puff will tell you...
2: Ah, that's different.
0: Yes, in
1: Fatima, the difference is quality. Ask your dealer for Fatima, the quality king-size cigarette. Best of all, long cigarettes.
0: Start enjoying Fatima tomorrow. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, From Crime to Punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action.
3: It was Wednesday, April 2nd. It was windy in Los Angeles. We were working the early morning watch on a homicide. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. I was on the way back from communications and it was 5.25 a.m. when I got to room 42. Homicide. this Miss Jones? Yes, who is it? This is Joe Friday. I'm sorry to bother you, Miss Jones. Is Lee there?
2: Oh, yes, Joe. Just a minute. I'll wake him. Lee. Lee, honey.
4: Lee, it's Joe Friday. He wants to talk to you. <coughs> uh, yeah, Joe,
3: what is it? I'm sorry to wake you. Can you come down right away?
4: What's the trouble?
3: Got a call from fire headquarters a couple of minutes ago. Yeah. They had a fire in a rooming house over on 7th Street. They found two dead bodies in one of the rooms. Yeah?
4: They said.
3: Well, the battalion chief doesn't think so. They found both bodies on the bed. There was evidence of arson in the room. And
4: what kind of proof they got?
3: The victims. That's why we called you.
4: And what you got?
3: The fire department thinks they were dead before the fire started.
5: 5.30
3: a.m., Romero and I drove out to the rooming house on 7th Street. It was a two-story building in the middle of the block between South Grand and Toledo Avenue. On one side of it was a small tranchant hotel and the other a building which housed a bookbinding firm and studios for an acrobatic dancing school. When we got there, the salvage crew was still working. We were directed to the second floor where we met with a man in charge from the fire department, Battalion Chief Sullivan. It's
6: right down the hall here. Watch your step there. Oh, yeah. you have the names of the victims, Chief? Uh, we think it's Guthrie, Mr. and Mrs. Charles Guthrie. Old couple lived here for some time, I understand. Here we are. We figure that's where it started, right under the bed over there.
3: Heat must have been terrific. Under the walls, Joe. Yeah. This is where most of the damage was done, Chief?
6: No, rooms on both sides got it, too. Not as bad as this, though. Guthrie's had two rooms. This and the one adjoining, through the door there. Mm-hmm. When the fire starts, got any idea? About quarter to five, I'd say. Landlady smelled the smoke about ten to five, put in the alarm. Fire was out three minutes after five.
7: Any other casualties besides the Guthrie's, I mean?
6: No, just the two. Okay. Over on the bed here.
3: Hmm. Yeah. One of the worst I've seen. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Ben, you can see from the position of the two bodies doesn't look to me like they suffocated.
2: Mm-mm.
3: No evidence that they tried to get out of the room. Both relaxed. Looks like somebody did them in and tried to cover with arson, huh? Oh, Chief. Yeah?
6: On the floor there. Oh, yeah, a parrot. Somebody wrung its neck, looks like to me, and then threw it there on the floor. Oh. There's the empty cage there in the corner. door's open. Chief? Yeah, why? But Schubert's still talking to the landlady? He hasn't come back. I'd like you to meet Friday and Rabello. No. Sorry, Friday and Romero, homicide detail. This is Clyde Wine from the arson squad. Hi, Clyde. How, how are you? You want to show them that setup, Clyde, how it was touched off?
7: I'm glad to. Now you can take a look under the bed there. Tells most of the story. You see directly underneath there? Let me see. Uh-huh.
1: Mm-hmm.
7: What is that, Wine? It's pretty charred. Rags and papers. Had a good soaking in kerosene before they were touched off. Strung out all under the bed here. Yeah. Couldn't miss, huh? Thorough guy, whoever set it up. Most of the carpeting in the room was doused with
1: kerosene, too.
6: This much you can count on. The man who touched it off knew something about timing devices. Want to show him that rig, Clyde?
1: Uh, right here.
7: Yeah? Ordinary electric heater. This automatic timer was connected to it, then plugged in. Heater was placed under the bed right next to the rags and papers. Timer was set probably for about 4.45 a.m. Mm-hmm. Timer let go on schedule, heater warmed up, rags and papers caught fire, then the mattress. You can see the rest for yourself. That timer pretty intricate, why? The man who put it together was no amateur, as the chief said. Must have known something about clockwork. Why? Why? see you a minute. Yeah, Mac. Excuse me, I'll be back in a minute. Too bad. Thanks very much. You find anything else that might tie in, Chief? Not in this room, no.
3: Dead parrot there door of the cage open. Mm -hmm. Probably a pet. Might have been out of the cage at the time of the fire. Mm. Is it possible the parrot could have suffocated, Chief?
6: Not from what I can see, no. As I say, it looks to me like somebody wrung the bird's neck. A few green feathers on the floor there. Mm -hmm. That's the adjoining room in there. Okay. I figure the Guthrie's used it as a sitting room. Yeah. You see the fire didn't wipe out everything in here. Mm-hmm.
7: Hey, Joe. Come here, man. Right. This carpet here with the door. Dark stains. Let me see. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Could be blood. Heavy stains, sure enough of them.
3: Yeah. Looks like more of them are that desk there, and some on the wall, too. Mm desk drawer is open here. Yeah, I see
6: that. That's about it. You know as much as we do so far. Yeah. We know how the fire was touched off. We're satisfied it didn't kill those two people in there.
3: The boys from Larson's squad talking to the other rumors in the building?
6: Right now. You can check with them. Okay.
3: Well, thank you very much, Chief. And I certainly appreciate it. Not
6: at all. The usual breaks, isn't it? How's that? This is fire prevention week.
3: 5.53 a.m. Lieutenant Lee Jones and the crew from the crime lab arrived. Davis, the photographer, Dean Bergman from Leighton Prince. Pictures were taken of both rooms, which made up Mr. and Mrs. Guthrie's living quarters. Photographs of the bodies were taken. Bergman processed for fingerprints. While Lee Jones continued his investigation, Ben and I went down the hall to the landlady's apartment, where we met with Ray Schubert, one of the men from the arson squad. These men are from Homicide Division. Sergeant Friday, Sergeant Romero, Mrs. uh, Stedman, that right?
2: Yes, Clara Stedman. How do you do? I manage the house here. Would either of you care for a cup of tea?
3: No, thank you. I wouldn't care for it. When did you last see Mr. and Mrs. Guthrie, ma'am?
2: Well, now, let me see. Miss Guthrie, I, I saw her just before dinner last night, a little before six. I went in to borrow an egg and a cup of flour. She was all right then.
7: Was there anyone with her?
2: No.
3: No, she was alone. What about Mr. Guthrie? When did you last see him?
2: About 7.30. I, I looked out my window and I saw him closing up the parking lot.
3: Did the Guthrie's have any visitors at all yesterday? Do you remember that?
2: Oh, just one I know of. Jack Marshman. He's working for Mr. Guthrie. About a year now.
3: When did Marshman visit the Guthrie's, do you know?
2: Around four, yesterday afternoon. Yes, I I was there too. Mrs. Guthrie and Jack and I had a cup of tea together. Then Jack left to go back to work, and
5: then I left. you didn't notice anyone else in or near the Guthrie's
2: rooms after that? hmm? No. I had my dinner and listened to a radio play, and then I went off to bed.
3: Oh, I know you're upset, Mrs. Stedman, but can you think of anybody who might have wanted to do away with the Guthrie's, anybody who had a reason to do them harm?
2: Oh, as far as I know, Sergeant, they didn't have an enemy in the world. I guess I was wrong. It's a terrible, terrible thing.
7: Yes, ma'am. Oh, we'll leave our card here with you. All right. If you want to contact us, don't hesitate to call anytime.
2: All right, thank you.
7: Thank you, Mrs. Stedman.
3: Goodbye, ma'am. Goodbye. What time you got? 6.15. Mm, it's pretty early. They ought to be able to post the bodies for us this morning. Say, Friday? Oh, yes, Chief. Jones, your crime lab man's looking for you. Thank you. Ben, you call the coroner, do you
7: Yeah, he's on his way over. Good. Lee?
4: All right. Hi. I've been looking for you. Got a few things.
3: Yeah, what's that?
4: This hammer. Found it over in the corner under some of the rubble.
3: Yeah.
4: These stains on the metal handle here on the head. Mm-hmm. Gave it the benzidine test. It's blood. You
7: figure it's a murder
4: weapon? I'll know more when I to get the coroner's report. Bergman lifted a lot of nice prints. Blood them all over everything. Yeah. On the handle of this hammer, on that timing contraption over there, the one that touched off the fire... Even left some in the next room on that metal box in the drawer of the desk. How do they look? Got good prints from each room. They match. Go on, the next room. Something else.
5: Mm -hmm. Yeah?
4: Those stains on the carpet by the door, the stains on the carpet by the desk, those on the wall, blood stains, all of them. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can see here, trailer stains, all leading through the door into the murder room.
3: You figure they were murdered in here, and then the killer took the bodies in the next room and put them on that bed, huh?
4: Then he set fire to cover up. That's my guess.
7: How about the prints on the box and that desk, Lee?
4: Might have been money in the box.
7: Possible burglary?
4: That's an angle. I'll take scrapings from these stains run on a biological precipitant when I get back to the lab. I'll let you know how it comes out. Better start finishing up
3: here. Right, Lee. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm. Well, it looks like we're in fair shape. A hammer, a couple of fingerprints. Mm-hmm. righty. Romero? Yes, Huber?
5: I saw the work for Mr. Guthrie in the parking lot, Jack Marshman. Just got here. Did you talk to him? Why, I'm not having one of the empty rooms down the hall. Thanks. Which way? Down here. Seems pretty well broken up.
7: He talked to anyone besides you since he got here?
5: No, I told him the Guthrie's were dead, that's all. He's taking it pretty hard. Uh-huh. Which one?
7: Right here. <laughs> <laughs> There's friends I had, Charlie and Waller. I knew I should have stayed with him. I knew I should have. These men are from Homicide, Mr. Marshman. Huh? Sergeant Friday, Sergeant Romero. Hello, Mr. Marshman. How are you? I, I don't know what I can tell you. I can't understand. Poor Charlie and What can I do to help? We'd like to have you answer a few questions, if you don't mind, sir. Certainly. Certainly anything to help out. Please, you... You gotta find out whoever did it. You gotta find out who killed him.
3: We're gonna try, Mr. Marshman. Now, would you tell us the last time you saw the Guthries alive?
7: Sure. Maude, Mrs. Guthrie, about four fifteen yesterday afternoon. Me and Mrs. Stedman, she's a line lady. We had tea with her, and I went back to help Mr. Guthrie at the parking lot. Mm-hmm. When's the last time you saw him? Oh, it's about six thirty. When I got off duty at the lot, I said goodbye to Charlie. Never dawned on me as the last time I'd see him alive. I just can't understand. It's such a vicious thing, Charlie and Martin. It's really terrible. Yes, sir.
3: You want to just sit down there, Mr. Marshman? Oh, uh, Thanks very much. Thank you. Ray? Yeah. Are you sure you're the only one who talked to Marshman since he died? <coughs> That's right. I met him at the door downstairs. Well, the only thing you told him was that the Guthries were dead. That's all he got from us. Any chance he could have been in the room since the fire? Not a chance. Then how do you know somebody killed him?
0: You are listening to Dragnet. Authentic stories of your police force in action. You'll be amazed when you compare Fatima with other long cigarettes. Buy a pack. You'll find Fatima's now cost the same. Lighter Fatima.
2: Ah, that's different.
0: What a difference.
1: Yes, friends, in Fatima, the difference is quality quality of tobaccos, the finest Turkish and domestic varieties, extra mild and superbly blended to give you a much different, much better flavor and
0: aroma than any other long cigarette. Quality of manufacture. Smooth, plump cigarettes rolled in the finest paper money can buy.
1: Quality, even to the appearance of the bright, clean yellow package. Carefully wrapped and sealed to bring you Fatima's rich, fresh, extra mild flavor. Try
0: comparing Fatima yourself. Fatima's now cost the same as other long cigarettes, but your first puff will tell you...
2: Ah, that's different.
0: Yes,
1: in Fatima, the difference is quality. Ask your dealer for Fatima, the quality king-size cigarette. Best of all long cigarettes. Start enjoying Fatima tomorrow. Wednesday, April
3: 2nd, 6.45 a.m. Lee Jones and his men completed their investigation and took their findings back to the crime lab for further examination. The deputy coroner arrived and removed the bodies of Mr. and Mrs. Guthrie to the county morgue. Together with Clyde Wyant and Ray Schubert of the arson squad, Ben and I continued questioning the Guthrie's friend and employee, Jack Marshman. His answers got more confused, and he kept contradicting himself. In some ways, he seemed childlike, in others, a good deal more complex. We strung along. In order to keep up the pretense that he was not a suspect, we asked him to come along with us while we checked his living quarters, a two-room basement apartment near Olympic and South Flower. We explained it as a routine check. Marshman was calm and self-assured.
7: Well... Here it is, officer. You can see for yourself. Oh. Yeah,
3: hmm
7: Nice, comfortable place. Oh, I like it. I've been here for about three years. Well, this room's where I do my living. Pull down bed. It's a little gas plate over there. It's handy. Compact. Mm-hmm, yeah, I see. What do you
3: use this next room for here, Jack?
7: Oh, it's my shop. I like to put it around. You care to see it? Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. hmm it's very nice. What's your hobby? Watch making uh... Used to be a watchmaker. I haven't worked at it lately, though. job's pretty hard to find. Yeah. Uh, these parts here on the bench, you making something, Jack? Oh, uh, just fooling around. Old alarm clock there. I'm fixing it up for a friend. All these wires and things, they all go into the works, huh? More or less, yeah. Just something I was fooling around with. It keeps me busy, you know. I like a hobby. They say it's good for you. Well, that's what they say, yeah. What does this do old little That's Oh, it's my closet. Just some clothes and stuff in there. Just junk. Don't mind if I let the. Eh? Well, it's only a closet. They're just closing, Jack. There's nothing to see.
3: See, Jack. Uh, do you usually keep this stuff around? Huh? Oh. It's uh. It's kerosene, and it's pretty dangerous to store like this.
7: There's no cap on it. I'm glad you reminded me. I, I got to get a cap for that. I-, I use it to wash up. My hands get dirty working around the bench. Uh, this shirt, these trousers. Are you, Jack? Uh, I wish you wouldn't drag that stuff out. It gets my stuff all mixed up. But, yeah, they're mine. But I figured here. There's Quite a few of them. Uh, some kind of paint I was using. I'm pretty sloppy with paint.
3: Mm-hmm. That's not paint, is it, Jack? It's
7: a little like blood to me. Well, what difference does it make? The working clothes. Thanks for your reason, it was in the day. Well, why don't you lay off? Huh? Who cares what kind of stain it is? You, you, you come in here snooping around, looking all around. I, I invited you in here. I didn't give you the place. This is my apartment, and this is my shop. Now, you, you can get out. You hear me? You both of you can get out. What's the matter, Jack? I said you can get out.
3: All right. You want to tell us before we go? I'll tell you what. Why you killed the Guthries.
7: What do you mean? Why did you kill Mr. and Ms. Guthrie? No reason. I just did it.
3: 9 a.m. We put the stained clothing and the materials from the workbench in the car. Together with the suspect, we headed back for the office. On the way, Marshman was quiet. He asked for some breakfast. We stopped and bought him some ham and eggs. We tried to get him to talk. He refused. After breakfast, we dropped the stained clothing and the other things at the crime lab, and then we drove to the city hall. We parked the car in front of the Spring Street entrance and started up the stairs.
7: Hey, wait a minute. What's wrong? I've been thinking. Yeah. It's all a mistake. What is? I didn't know what I was talking about. I didn't kill him. 9.47 a.m. Ben
3: and I took the suspect into the interrogation room. We checked him through R.I. i he had a record of two petty thefts the year before. We went back to the interrogation room and got on the phone. We called latent fingerprints.
7: We made them, Joe. The prints on the hammer, the timing device, and the metal box on the desk. They all belong to Marshman.
3: 10.03 a.m. I called the county morgue.
5: Bodies identified as Mr. and Mrs. Charles Guthrie. Cause of death, Mrs. Guthrie. Multiple depressed fractures of the skull. subarachnoid hemorrhage. Blunt instrument. Cause of death, Mr. Guthrie, about the same. Compressions of the brain in the occipital area around the brainstem.
3: 10.25 a.m. I put in a call to Lee Jones at the crime lab.
4: The materials from the workbench are the same that went into that automatic timer, Joe. Piece together the cut ends of some of the wires. They match.
3: How about the stains on his clothes? Human blood. 10.45 a.m. We laid it out for the suspect, step by step.
7: Let me rest a while. I'll feel better. Let me think.
3: We stayed with him. We waited. 11.20 a.m. The suspect opened his eyes. Sergeant? Yeah? I want to talk about it. 11.25 a.m., Schubert and Wyatt from the arson squad joined us. We called in one of the stenographers to take Marshman's statement, Eleanor Eastlake. She automatically took down the time, the place, and those present.
7: Jack, this is Miss Eastlake. She's going to record your statement so there'll be no misunderstanding as to what you say at this time. How do you do, ma'am? No. Joe? You want to handle the question? All right. Jack, we've
3: got a few preliminaries here for you. Okay. John Everett Marshman, is that
7: your true name? Yeah. Where do you live? 122 and a half Morgan Place, Apartment B. What's your age? 37. Occupation? Mm -hmm. Watchmaker, when I'm working. Well,
3: now, Jack, you've indicated to us in the previous conversation that you're willing to make a statement setting forth the true facts surrounding the deaths of Mr. and Miss Charles Guthrie.
7: That's right, I'll tell you.
3: Were you in their home
7: Tuesday, April 1st? That's yesterday. Yeah, that's right, I was. What time did you get there? First time, about five minutes to four in the afternoon. Mrs. Guthrie was there, and so was the landlady, Mrs. Steadman. We had some tea. Was anybody else present while you were there? No, it was just the three of us. How long did you stay there? Um, I left about 4.15, I guess. I guess I was there about 20 minutes. Where'd you go when you left? All well, back to the parking lot, as usual. Charlie Guthrie left and went home to dinner. He got back about 6.15, I left at 6.30, quitting time.
3: Where'd you go after you left the parking lot?
7: Went around the block and then back to the Guthrie's place. Why'd you go back there? To get money. Charlie never paid me enough. Picked me up and expected me to work for nothing. All right.
3: Now, in your own words, will you tell us just what happened starting when you entered the Guthrie's apartment the second time?
7: Mm-hmm. Mrs. Guthrie opened the door and I went in. She gave me a cup of tea and I told her I wanted some money. She wouldn't give me any. I don't know why, but I was mad. I was sick and tired of both of them. They never gave me enough money. Elmer.
2: I'm getting it, Sergeant. All right.
7: All right, go ahead, please. Mrs. Guthrie went in the next room, and I went over to the desk and got the money from the box that they keep it in. I don't know how much I grabbed all of it, and that parrot started squawking. Mrs. Guthrie came running in. She saw me with the money, and she says, Jack, I picked up something and hit her. It was the hammer, and I kept hitting her. Can you remember how many times you hit her, Marshall? Oh, I don't know. She fell down. The parrot was still squawking, jumping around the cage, and I went over and opened the door of the cage and pulled the parrot out. It stopped moving finally I went in the bedroom and threw it on the floor And then I dragged Mrs. Guthrie in the bedroom And put her on the bed and I left Where'd you go? No, oh, I don't know, I walked around Tried to think of something It was cold I got a bottle of wine, I drank it And then I, I got to thinking about what Charlie do when he got home I knew he'd be sure I did it He always blamed me for everything So I finally went back to the Guthrie's place And found the hammer that I used on her What'd you intend doing with the hammer? killed Charlie. If she had it coming, so did he. You, you can't blame me if they forced me into it. Anybody would have done the same.
3: What would you do after you found the hammer again?
7: I picked it up and waited for Charlie to come home. I remember that. The wine made me feel pretty good. I stood there in the dark holding the hammer, watched out the window for Charlie. It was cold out, I remember that. There was a radio on down the hall, and I held on to the hammer and waited for Charlie neon light across the street that came through the windows. Old lady was on the bed in there. I could see the parrot on the floor. It was quiet. I had a smoke. Traffic kept going by outside. I could hear that. Held on to the hammer. It's windy out. I kept thinking Mrs. Guthrie was looking at me from the bed, but she wasn't. Charlie came home at the usual time, a little after 7.30, and I stood by the door. He came in and closed the door after him. When he reached for the lights, I hit him. He fell down. I hit him some more. You, you couldn't blame me. Anybody would have done the same. Anybody would have, the way he kicked me around. How many times did you hit him, Marshman? I don't know. Was it twice? Three times? I don't know. I hit him until he quit moving. That's all. I... Took him, dragged him into the bedroom, put him on the bed with his wife. I put him over. Wiped the stains off of me and left her. It was the only thing I could do. Where'd you go then? My place. I knew that timer I had to do the trick. I put her in a shopping bag with some stuff and I went back to the Guthrie's. They were still there on the bed. Parrot was on the floor.
2: Uh, would you repeat that last part, Mr. Marshman?
7: Oh, I, I said they were still on the bed, the Guthrie's, and a parrot was on the floor next to the bed. Put the kerosene on the carpet and the rags and paper under the bed and rigged up the electric heater and the automatic timer to set it off. A little slower? Yeah, we'll just speak up, Jack, and then slow it down just a little bit. Oh, sorry. How did you rig the timer to set off the heater, Marshman? Can you tell us? i would take all morning to tell you. You you got the timer. I'll take it apart and explain it to you if you want. All right. What was your purpose in setting fire to the room? You knew both Mr. and Mrs. Guster were dead, didn't you? Oh, sure. Sure they were. They forced me into it. I set the fire to make it look like an accident, like they'd burned today. What would you do after you set the timer? Oh, I left. Went down the street and bought a couple of bottles of wine. Talked to the guy a minute. I walked around a while. It was too cold, so I went home. When would you get home? Um, 2.30, maybe. I don't remember too well. Did you go right to bed? Yeah. Did you go to sleep? No. No. I laid there and read a movie magazine, drank the wine. Finally, I finished up the two bottles and dozed off. What time did you get up? A little before 6 this morning. Went down to the Guthrie's to nose was around. That's why I met you guys. Well... You know I'll arrest because I've been with you ever since.
3: All right, Jack. Anything else you'd like to add? No, I told you everything. All right. And this statement was given free and voluntarily, and there's been no promise of immunity or reward extended to you? Yeah, that's right. Was any force, violence, or duress used to induce you to make this statement? No. Okay. These questions and answers have been recorded by the secretary here. After they've been transcribed, will you be willing to sign it as a true statement?
7: Sure,
2: sure. I'll sign it.
3: All right, Eleanor. You get that out as soon as possible.
2: All right, Sergeant. Thank you. You're
7: welcome. Well, that's it, huh? All of it? That's it. Oh, that's good. It's good. I'm tired. It's been a long night. A long one. Get used to it, huh? They're going to get longer.
0: The story you just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On July 29th, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 86, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial.
1: Now, here is our star, Jack Webb.
3: Thank you. Recently, I've asked you to send me the names of cigarette dealers who are out of Fatima's. You see, the demand for Fatima's is so great that I want to make sure that all of you can buy them. So keep your letters coming. If you find a dealer fresh out of Fatima's, Let me know, and we'll have something done about it. Write your dealer's name and address on a card and mail it to me, Jack Webb, Post Office Box 951, Hollywood 28. And now for you, Mr. Dealer. The coming holiday season will find new thousands insisting on Fatima quality. Step up your order for Fatima's tomorrow. Get in on the increasing demand for the quality long cigarette. (laughs) ¶¶
0: John Everett Marshman was tried and convicted of murder in the first degree, two counts, and arson, one count. He is now serving a life term in the state penitentiary without possibility of parole. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department.
1: Fatima Cigarettes, the best of all long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet, portions transcribed from Los Angeles. Coming up, We the People, then Screen Directors Playhouse on NBC.